My buddy and I were on our way to Clay City. It's October in the western half of Washington State, and once the sun goes down, the fog rolls up from the lakes and streams in the pine forest here and wraps the whole area in a downy mystery. Clay City is a ghost town that I used to frequent as an undergrad student at Pacific Lutheran University. The story I was told about and the facts I've researched about the city line up to a degree. Here's what I know. Clay City was a lumber town in the early 1900s that almost folded up because the price of lumber didn't justify the camp's existence. What they did find, though, was that they had built the lumber town on a massive clay deposit. And so, their solution was to build six massive brick kilns to turn the barren earth into a profit. Eventually, even that wasn't enough to weather the depression, and the city disappeared in the 30s. Here's where the story branches off into myth, and I don't know what happened or what is true. The legend says that the people of Clay City blamed a local woman for their luck, maybe even accused her of witchcraft, and tried to burn her small brick home down. However, it was the small town that ended up being razed to the ground, and the woman's home was the only thing that remained. Today, you can go out and visit the old site. It is undeniably creepy. This is made even more so by the stories that there's an old white supremacist camp out there. I don't know if there's anything to justify that, but there is a very spooky atmosphere. I hadn't been out to Clay City in over six years, and just recently I decided it was time to go back. The journey, you could say, was prompted by some life changes. I'm turning 30 this week. It doesn't feel any more spectacular than the last birthday, but everybody keeps calling me and asking me if I'm ready for it, if, or if I'm ready for my big, dirty 30. To be honest, I don't have anything planned. I hadn't even thought of it until the calls started coming in. I even felt content, maybe even ready for 30. But now there's this seed planted in my mind telling me that I hadn't planned a big enough publicity stunt for my birthday. Somehow that scares me. This fear of turning 30 and suddenly vanishing, or becoming obsolete or forgotten, no longer relevant. Like Clay City. I had just picked my buddy Paul up, and we were going to carpool out to Clay City. He and I used to go to Clay City back in undergrad all the time, and so it seemed fitting that he should come with me on this journey. Plus, he has that same insatiable thirst for adventure that I have. We were about 15 minutes into the journey, halfway to Clay City, when I got the text. It was from a number I didn't recognize, which wasn't too unusual, but the fact that the text message was in Latin was. Now, to be fair, my Latin isn't that great. I didn't recognize this immediately upon seeing it. Uh, my buddy Paul had to put it through Google Translate. But it said... Which is a remarkably good translation of the phrase, I know where you're going. I know where you need to be. Now, I honestly don't know what an appropriate reaction to this situation is, but for a man about to turn 30 on a quest to a ghost town, when adventure calls, you answer. So, that's just what I had Paul do. 
Thinking that maybe this had just been a wrong number and that the entire thing was really nothing, we text back the only obvious thing one can in that situation. We asked, who is this? Just in case it was some random member of the Latin club reaching out to another member and had nothing to do with our quest to the ghost town. What we got was this. I am known by many names, but you can call me Virgil. All right, I thought. That's not an unusual name for a member of the Latin club. Let's see if they actually know who they're talking to. We text back, All right, Virgil, where are we going? A journey awaits you. I will be one of your guides. To begin, take something from the city of clay. It will help you along the way. All right. A direct reference to where we're going and a rhyming message? Virgil was legit. What I didn't know was, is this an elaborate adventure laying out before me? Or is it some crazy serial killer out to get us? We decided to roll the dice. Paul and I drove deep out into the forest by Kapausen. Eventually we saw the sign that leads to Clay City, and then you arrive at a thick yellow gate. The area that is Clay City today is owned by a lumber company, I think. Trust me, the irony doesn't escape me. But to get to the site where the witch's house is, you have to park your car and jump over a massive yellow gate then you walk maybe a mile down a long, abandoned gravel road, deeper and deeper into the woods. As you walk along, your foot will touch a spent shotgun shell strewn across the gravel road. The sound of it kicking off into the distance punctuates the darkness. The long walk up to Clay City was riddled with anxiety. I had brought along this high-intensity tactical flashlight. Normally, the beam would slice through darkness, but tonight, the fog was so thick that it mostly just bounced back at us. As we continued up the long trail, hiking ever higher towards Clay City itself, there were long, ethereal cobwebs that started to stretch across the trail. It did nothing to soothe my anxiety. The farther along we got, the more I started to consider the possibility that Virgil actually was someone malicious, and that we would meet them out there. You start to ponder through these scenarios in your mind. How did the person get my number in the first place? How did they know that I was going to Clay City at exactly that hour? If both my wife, Tawny, and my good buddy, Paul, weren't involved, and they seemed convincingly enough not to be, then who had tipped them off? I'd chosen to go to Clay City on a whim. And now, here I was, marching into the darkness, about to confront something that could very easily have been a real danger. We continued on the trail up to Clay City until we arrived at the vast expanse where the brick kilns used to be. Today, it's little more than an empty expanse of concrete. Here and there, Budweiser cans, 
litter the ground. The cold fire pit tells stories of people coming out here, and the rest is silence. It's an uncomfortable silence in Clay City. There's no sound of traffic, or animals, or streams, or rarely even wind. It's a muffled, deadening silence, almost more of a physical feeling. We approach the edge of the concrete expanse, where the forest draws together and laps at the edge of the openness. This is the entrance to the witch's house. Thirty feet back, through the thick forest, is the concrete and brick structure that was once her place. Little more than a hearth, a footprint, and a few walls remain today. Paul and I made the decision that it would be wiser to approach the house from the back instead of the front, since we really didn't know what we were getting into. When we walked inside the footprint of the house, there was no one there. There were no sounds that we could hear. We waited and then finally sent a message. Whatever you choose to take away will further the journey another day. Send a photo of your soul's choice to reawaken your guide's voice. Looking around, it seemed to me the most obvious choice of something to take was an empty shotgun shell. I bent over to pick one up, and no sooner than I had it in my hand that I received the next message. This time, it was no rhyming or Latin text message, but a picture of what looked like a ransom note, all cut out from magazine letters, and all it said was, Come out and play. Eastwold Auditorium, Monday night, 10.45 p.m. And then silence. Just as quickly as Virgil had appeared, Virgil was gone. No response to any text message I sent back. Just a palpable emptiness. Paul and I looked at each other and then decided it was time to leave Clay City. The whole ride home, I grilled Paul. I asked him again and again if he had anything to do with it and judged his face every time. It's difficult to tell with Paul because he's an actor, so there's always the possibility that he's lying to you effectively. But I still wasn't sure. By the time I dropped him off, I'd truly begun to suspect Tawny was involved somehow. So as soon as I walked back through the door that night, she asked, Hey, how was your night? And I said, I don't know, Tawny. How was it? This circle of suspicion began to consume my whole life. Only Tawny and Paul had known that we would be going to Clay City at exactly that time that night. It had been a random time chosen minutes before we left. Both Tawny and Paul had confirmed by showing me their phones that they hadn't been involved through sending text messages. 
All I knew at this point was that it was likely an inside job, but the only two people that I could actually prove knew I was going to Clay City that night had come up clean. I started doing my homework. Virgil's phone number was registered in California, and if I called it, I got a nondescript voicemail every time. Essentially, I was no closer to knowing who Virgil was than when I first got the text message. With no real options left to me, I figured my best course of action would be to show up at Eastwold Auditorium at 10.45pm at the back door, just like my creepy ransom note had told me to. This would give me a chance to finally see Virgil face to face and figure out what was going on. Luckily for me, Eastwold Auditorium was something of a home court advantage. Situated right in the middle of campus, it was the main theater building. And, as a theater major myself, it's where I spent most of my time when I was at Pacific Lutheran University. Even though I hadn't been back in years, I knew how to get there, and I knew it would be familiar. All that was left for me now was to wait until Monday. Three more days of grilling all of my family members, including my father, of whom I was the most suspicious. When Monday finally came, I showed up early to Eastfold Auditorium and staked it out. Standing in the rain for 10 minutes, I watched the back door to see if anything was suspicious, but there was no one there. Nothing even looked out of place, except of course for me, creeping in the shadows behind a college building. Eventually, when 10.45 rolled around, I walked up to the door and a woman I had never seen before came up behind me and asked if I was waiting for someone to let me in. I told her yes, and as she swiped me into the building, I realized this had been much more serious than I thought. Join us next time as I get closer to uncovering Virgil's true identity. Tonight's episode was made with special thanks and consideration to Kevin McLeod, who provided the music. Links to his work can be found in the description below. Until next time, I'm Captain Chris Stoddinger, and this is 30 Year Quest. <laughs>